I'm going to deal with a, a very practical subject, that of gathering people. Because you can, you can imagine now, you've, you've decided you're going to go and plant, but, but who's going with you? Yeah, your dog, your kids, your wife. And, and when you get there, who, who's going to join you? And how's that going to happen? I want to suggest to you that right now, under this lockdown situation, people are ripe to be invited to church, to be invited to hear the gospel. I was going through Luke 19 a couple of weeks ago, and that's the account of Zacchaeus, and God really spoke to me through it. Zacchaeus, sitting up in his tree, didn't want to be seen, but he wanted to see Jesus. And so he wanted to hide behind the leaves, but he wanted to see Jesus. And I think people are doing that all over the world right now. They're hiding away in their cyber trees. Don't want anyone to see them, but they're looking for Jesus. You, you just ask the thousands of pastors now, you probably sitting listening to me right now, who, who've become tele-evangelists overnight, and, and we're reaching out on cyberspace, and people are dropping in and listening. But you know, when Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, he didn't say, you know, cool to see you up on your tree there, Zacchaeus. Yeah, salvation's come to your tree. No, he didn't do that. He called them out of his tree. And this is what we're talking about now, calling them out of their cyber trees, calling them out of their built-up communities, calling them out of their schoolyards, and getting them to hear the gospel and to be knitted into the, the local church. And, uh, you know, a little later on, when, when Jesus took him into his home, Zacchaeus invited all his friends who'd also been hiding away. And, and Jesus said, you know, that salvation had come to his house. And when he explained his work in that whole deal, he said, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. When Richie kicked off, he said, hey, listen, this is the goal of the church. This is the mission of the church. This is what we're on about. Gathering people to hear the gospel, to be included in community. So I've got eight quick things that you'll find in your notes, and uh, hopefully it stirs you to think these thoughts, because you might be saying to yourself, well, Grant, I'm not really an evangelist. I really want to lead a church. Can't wait till the people get there, but I don't know how I'm going to gather them. So, so here's the first thought. When Jesus addressed the region that he ministered into, he didn't treat them all the same. He walked among fishermen and he told fishing stories. In fact, he climbed in their boats. He walked among farms. He grabbed the grain, took the grapes and talked about sheep. He walked into market squares. He grabbed coins. He talked to the people in the market. He got children and he addressed children at their level. When he wanted to speak to the religious, he went into synagogues. And so you're going to face a community, whether it be in Adelaide, whether it be in Cape Town, whether it be in some rural area somewhere, and the people are not all the same. The young people there, the old people there, the sports people there, the university people there maybe. There's pregnant women there. And, and God will give you, if you ask him, a unique way to reach them. So I'm saying the gospel is a message for the whole world, but how you get it there, the vehicle that you ride it into these communities will change. We'll talk about that maybe in the Q&A afterwards. Secondly, think about 
the seasons. Think about the seasons, the natural seasons people go through. Jesus used seasons. At the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus used that season and the throngs of people that were there. Mother's Day, Father's Day, natural disasters that happen and change a season in a particular community. Think about those seasons and say, God, how does the gospel speak into the people that are in crisis or celebrating that particular season? Changes the way you think. It's not just one size fits all. Number three, don't believe the myths that advertising is going to fill your church. If I only had a budget, if I only had social media, if I only had all this, I'll fill my church. Take it from me. I, I'm useless at many things, but one of the things I studied before I went into the ministry was marketing and advertising. And I stayed at university far too long studying that stuff. And I, and I can tell you that even if your adverts get someone to sit in your building, they're not going to stay there because of the advert. Advertising is seriously overrated. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but it's seriously overrated. Number four, it follows on from that one, is that generally people stay when they've been invited by somebody. Why? Because they've got somebody to talk to when they get there. They've got someone to form a relationship with and invite them into their home group afterwards. And, and so... To establish an invitational culture to your Sunday meetings is something you want to do. So you've planted a church. It's you, your wife, your dog, a couple of kids, and maybe your next door neighbor in the complex that you've just moved into. From day one, I believe you should be looking at, and this shouldn't be something that just church planters do. It's guys who are leading churches forever. Is that, is this a place where I can invite non-believers to come? Paul obviously expected when he was writing to the Corinthians that non-believers were going to arrive. Because he said, listen, if you guys go rattling off in tongues for hour after hour after hour, an unbeliever will pitch up and he won't know what, he'll think you're out of your mind. In addition to that, he, he says, you know, when, when prophecy comes and, and you prophesy and the power of God comes into a meeting, the unbeliever who's amongst you will be cut to the heart and he'll say, surely God is among you. And so Paul obviously expected not just Christians to be at meetings, but to be a place where unchurched people could come. And so I think you should look at what you're doing through the eyes of a visitor all the time. When he comes up the driveway, who's he going to see? What are they going to say to him? When he walks into your building or your lounge, wherever you go, how's he going to feel for those first few minutes? Uh, how you speak uh, what are you inviting him to? And, and once you've looked at your church that way or your little church plant that way, it gives your friends that are in church with you the confidence to invite their friends. If you start behaving weirdly or don't pay attention, you know, guys, I'm not going to bring my boss because I'll get fired if I bring him to something like this. So think of it that way and then begin to celebrate and speak about inviting your friends. Because if you're going to go and plant a church all by yourself and, and you expect yourself to be the number one soul winner, inviter of people, you're in for a tough journey. You want to establish a culture, get excited uh, about and involve people in bringing people 
to your gatherings and to your meetings. Number five, uh, this is the one that I am most uh, actively engaged in and have been for many years that I've been in ministry, is that if you see the world that you're trying to reach as different groupings of people, then you need to ask God, how do I invade those groups? I'm talking a little bit now about strategic invasions into communities. You say, God, that sounds a little bit like the Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, you can do it that way if you want to, but Jesus sent out the 72, remember? He sent them out in twos, and he sent them into villages that he himself was going to go into, and then he made it very clear to them how to speak, what to carry, what to do, and so he was purposeful in sending people to places. And so I think as we start our little churches, even if you're sending your son or, or sending the first person that's joined you or coming alongside to collaborate, let me give you some, some ideas. Pregnant woman in the community that you live. If someone in your planting team is pregnant or has a little kid, they are far more likely to reach that subset than you or some old bullet like Ed Strong. So we've tested this. A mom's group, which has started from a prenatal class or an antenatal class, or by people who've been giving gift bags to moms who've just got kids in their hospitals and say, look, we're a support group. Uh, that group suddenly attracts a whole lot more people than, and people that wouldn't go to church on a Sunday. Uh, they're aged. Now, now, the guys who spoke today are far more likely to lead an old bullet to the Lord than a university student. And so we've tried this too. We, we had a, I remember the occasion around about 12 years ago, I was getting distressed because people weren't getting saved. Uh, the old people in our community weren't getting saved and they weren't bringing their friends. And so the church was getting younger and younger and younger. Some of you are saying, well, that's really cool. Yeah, but it worried me that a whole bunch of old people in our community weren't being invited. So I, I got together, the elderly community in our church, and I, I asked them some questions. And I was particularly interested in finding out those who had got saved late in their lives. I couldn't find one that had been led to the Lord by a young person. They love young people. It's so entertaining when young people come and visit them and speak about Jesus to them. But when a youngster says, let me tell you about life, that old eight-year-old says, life, boy, you haven't even started living it yet. Well, let me tell you about depression. God can help you. Depression? I lived through the depression. <laughs> and so you're never going to get a young person to, God can do it sovereignly. But as a str strategic plan to be able to lead people like that into the kingdom. And, and so that applies to business people and sports people and university students. I remember us doing an experiment when I was at university. We thought we needed the old folk to come and help us strengthen our faith. So we combined our young home groups with the old guys. And you know what happened? The university students stopped coming. The, it just like fizzled out. And the guy leading the church at the time, Ray Oliver, said to me, for goodness sake, Grant, start some young groups again. Because young people reach young people. Number six, one-on-one -on -one evangelism. One-on-one -on -one evangelism. And so 
90% of the expression of our faith doesn't happen in church community. It happens out there, doesn't it? Where we're having our hair cut. When we on a sports field. When we're behind our work desk. And so as a church planter, I believe you've got to equip everybody that comes alongside into your community with at least two things. Number one, to tell their story, how they came to the Lord. And I think they should be able to tell it in 30 seconds, in three minutes, and in 30 minutes. Because if, you, if your people don't know how to tell their testimony, you know what will happen when someone says, why do you go to church? They'll say, I've got nothing else to do on a Sunday. Or, or why do you believe what you believe? Oh, I was just brought up this way. No, but if they've thought about it, they must be ready in season and out of season. Teach them. Basically, you're teaching them this. What my life was like before I met Christ, how it was to meet him, and what my life has been like since. My testimony is like this. I was 10 years old. I was living in a family that did not go to church. And then one day, my dad got radically saved. He came into our bedroom at night. He made my two brothers. I was 10. My brothers were nine and eight, sit on the bed. He was quite emotional. And he told us that he had just given his life to Jesus and that he thought it was a very good idea that we do the same. And so we said, yes, sir. I don't know when his faith became my faith, but by the time I was 12 years old, I'd been water baptized. By the time I was 13, I'd been filled with the Spirit. And today, at 52, 51, and 50, we are all preachers of the gospel somewhere in this planet. And so my testimony is this. God got me when I was 10, and he never let me go. I don't have one of those drug, sex, and rock and roll testimonies. But my testimony is powerful, man. God can get you when you're young, and he can hold you forever. And you can't argue with my testimony, because it's mine. You weren't there. You don't know what happened. And everybody in your church, when they meet Jesus, has a testimony. And if they don't, if they don't know how to tell it, no one's going to hear it. How are people going to get saved? Paul writes to the Romans. When he talks about those beautiful feet, someone's got to go. Someone's got to speak. Someone's got to testify. Tell them how to tell their testimony. And number two, just basically what the gospel means. Mally outlined it today. What it, you can take a simple scripture like John 3, 16 and explain to them how to take a Bible verse and explain the gospel. Each one for each one. Number seven, and then we'll draw this to a close. And this is controversial in some circles. But I have seen over the last 30 years of ministry that some events in a year can really help in terms of gathering people. And so Jesus did that. Je Jesus, Jesus used massive crowds to get the gospel out. And when the church was planted, remember God orchestrated for Cornelius to open up his house? It was a bit of an event, wasn't it? He packed that place with his family and all these Gentiles were busy packed into a room and Peter was reluctantly being dragged in there by the Holy Spirit. And at that little event, the gospel came, people were radically saved, baptized. God can use them. So in our history, 
God has used weird things. Once we did a drama. This drama was so bad that people were given their words on a Friday night. And they weren't actors. They were just like normal people. They practiced their words on Saturday. And, and they acted on Sunday. And this is the trick, is that every scene ended in death. And the lights went out. And the devil popped up. And they got either dragged off to hell, or an angel said, whoa, 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 stop, bring him into heaven. How's that for a play? And if the guys forgot their words, we just killed them early, turned the lights out. I expected that play to last exactly like one or two days. Three days would have been a revival. Seven weeks later, every single night, people kept getting saved. You say, well, what the heck was that? I don't know. God came on that event. Don't try and do that drama. It's not, not, not a good idea. It was just God used it at that moment. The Alpha Course. I don't know if there's anything in the whole of Christendom that has seen so many people come to faith and get discipled. Not just come to faith, get discipled. I uh, remember when Mel Gibson brought out that movie. You remember that one on um, uh, the passion of the Christ? Well, I went down to the movie house and uh, I said to the, the guys who were managing it, listen, we want to book out the first, w- I think it was like week of showings. They said, oh, like, are you mad? I said, no, put the money up front. They said, okay, you can do it. I said, but this is the condition. I get the microphone at the end of it. He said, I don't know if you allowed that. Well, then, then you can't have my money. He said, okay, no, don't worry. You can have the microphone. <laughs> Which meant that when that passion came out, we told our church to go with their friends. It's a Hollywood movie, and we shared the gospel afterwards. We got cat calls, man. I can remember using the phrase Barabbas. I was talking about Barabbas because the crowd was shouting for Barabbas. And some woman got up in an Italian accent and started shouting at me. We are not Barabbas, she was shouting back at me. But you know how many people got saved? It was an event. Now, I'm not saying your church should be a series of events, but I'm just saying God can use them to set a culture to push you forward. Number eight, and I, I'm just going to point you to the notes now because what I'd really like to do is to get some questions going with those old veterans that were speaking earlier, is to build churches that think about the lost, that are, that are mesmerized by God working like this, saving souls. We're called on mission. God invites us on this mission. You go into all the world and you make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what your church should look like. That's what our church should look like. And so how do you build a church like that? So I've given you 20 thoughts on that. You can go through the notes, go and have a look. And it concerns the people that you release into leadership. It concerns how you follow up, how you pray. concerns your children, how you minister with children. Why don't you make Jesus irresistible to children? Talks about celebrating um, the right things. Do you know why Jesus said baptize people, I think? It's, a, it's the first time everyone gets to share their testimony. I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live the life I live. I now live in faith in, this, in, in the Lord who saved me. And so... When you celebrate baptism, you're celebrating the gospel, you're celebrating salvation. When you, when you celebrate salvations, it's what you celebrate. Uh, 
how, how we um, run our meetings, how we, how we invite the Holy Spirit, and how we're sensitive to his, to his presence in meetings, uh, cuts unbelievers to the heart. 